soldier of the cross, a follower of the Lamb. And shall I fear to own his cause, or blush to speak his name? Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease, while others fought? To face, must I not stem the flood in this vile world? A friend to grace, to help me on to God. Sure, I must fight if I would reign. Increase my courage, Lord. I'll bear the toll and endure the pain, supported by Thy word. Amen. Uh, I just want to uh, welcome those who are watching us on TV or maybe hearing us on the internet. And now we will have uh, our call to worship. Good morning. Good morning. morning. Call to worship this morning, Psalm 9, verses 7 to 14. But the Lord shall endure forever. He hath prepared his throne for judgment, and he shall judge the world in righteousness. He shall minister judgment to the people in uprightness. The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. And they that know thy name will put their trust in thee, for thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. Sing praises to the Lord, which dwelleth in Zion. Declare among the people his doings. When he maketh inquisition for blood, he remembereth them. He forgetteth not the cry of the humble. Have mercy upon me, O Lord. Consider my trouble, which I suffer of them that hate me. Thou that liftest me up from the gates of death that I may show forth all thy praise in the gates of the daughter of Zion. I will rejoice in thy salvation. And if I must say a few things, um, at this time last year, I didn't know whether I would be alive or have an arm. I put my faith in God as I always do. And Lord, thank you. Amen. Amen. Three in one God, we've gathered here this morning to worship you. We have been so encouraged by this call to worship. In this time when so many people have legitimate concerns and many people are struggling, what a comfort to know that you are with all those who trust in you no matter what the circumstances are. And if we seek you, we shall find your mercy, and we will find out what a wonderful Savior your Son, Jesus Christ, is. So, Lord, please help us to focus everything that is within us on you in this coming hour of worship. Thank you, thank you, amen, and amen. And now, uh, because we do not always do that which is pleasing to God and we sometimes fall short, let us now take our bulletins and pray this prayer of confession which David wrote. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from sin. My sin. I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned 
and done what is evil in your sight. So you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Amen. It's amazing how a thousand years before Christ hung on the cross and paid the price for our sins, David was given a psalm that anticipated what John would teach us in his last days when he was about 80 years old, where he said, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, before we sing our next song, I want to make one announcement. Some of you have probably read in the Vestry Voices that I'm having a working vacation the next two Sundays. But once again, uh, my brother and friend Peter Anderson has agreed to come out here and lead worship and preach. And I think it was in the Vestry Voices. He'll be preaching from the great wisdom book of Ecclesiastes, two sermons. So you'll be in good hands. And from talking with my fellow pastors, I'm not going to visit another church because they are like so way overcrowded. They don't need another person to take a place of one of their worshipers. So I'll be worshiping with you and being blessed by our brother Peter. So now let's sing number 379, There's a Wideness in God's Mercy. Scripture lesson this morning is Philippians 2, 
verses 25 through 30. Yet I supposed it necessary to send you to Ephrathus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger, and he that ministered to my wants. For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because that ye had heard that he had been sick. For indeed, he was sick nigh unto death. But God had mercy on him, and not him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I sent him therefore the more carefully, that when you see him again, ye may rejoice, and that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such in reputation, because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life to supply your lack of service toward me. Amen. Uh, this is uh, the word of the Lord, and uh, we will dig deeper into it later. But now, <laughs> let's go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, and before we go, uh, Debbie informed me that a friend of ours that she has known long before she knew me and is about our age down in uh, Carolina, right on the border of North and South Carolina, who has had health problems all her life uh, is having to go in the hospital and like that's the last place anybody wants to go. So she has asked for prayer. She probably didn't even ask knowing her, but Debbie wants to pray for her. So we will add her in as well. Three in one God, as we are gathered to worship you in prayer, song, and sacrament, According to your words spoken through many prophets over the centuries, please open our souls to you and continue to purge away all that is not pleasing to you that is in us. Do this by your Holy Spirit, the one who inspired your word. As Peter told us, he guided the prophets. First of all, May we all experience all that you are and all that you have spoken so we may do what you've given us to do to complete your mission here on earth, even if in so doing we may experience hardship and maybe even unto death. We thank you for assurance, the assurance that we have through the Holy Spirit in the wonderful work that Jesus did for us on the cross and in his resurrection, that through him we may ask you for anything according to your will. Therefore, first of all, we pray that we will learn and change whatever behaviors we need to have changed from this pandemic and that at the time chosen by you, we will be set free from its grip. But for now, may we learn to fear you in faith and not this disease or its consequences. In other words, set us free to do your will regardless. And because this is a worldwide pandemic, we pray for every nation on earth and especially for your church in each nation, our brothers and sisters whom we have not yet met. And we pray that we all may witness together to you as we have never witnessed before. And we pray for our nation and our leaders. We pray for President Trump and Vice President Pence. We pray for Congress. And Father, I was so excited to hear this week, actually last week on Friday, 
that there's some 160 members of Congress that meet daily for Bible studies and are praying that you would give them wisdom to um, uh, put forth and enact laws that would bring you glory and be the benefit of our people. I so needed to hear that. But there are... um, so many people in our country, and we pray for the people of our country that you would deliver us from this hatred and violence that is happening. They are ignorant of you. They are without hope. And we reference John after our prayer of confession, and he reminded us near the end of his teaching letter that although we are of you, O God, the whole world right now is in the power of the evil one. So we petition you to change this, and we offer ourselves to do whatever it is you want us to do. Thy will be done. And we pray for our church family and people that we know and love. Father, we pray for your word that it will transform us and empower us so we will be soldiers of the cross of Jesus. And we also pray for the sacrament, which we have the privilege of partaking of today as we take the body and blood of Jesus Christ into us. May we be strengthened, Father, for all that is going on in our lives so that we may bring you glory. And now we come to you in the words of a short prayer that Jesus gave to his disciples that really says it all. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now let's sing number 516, Soldiers of Christ, Arise. I'm kind of blown away at 
how much better of a vocabulary people had 250 years ago. But that's neither here nor there. God is full of mercy. And this is wonderful. Now, I've been preaching to people for 30 years, and I've seen it, and as wonderful as this is, there's already some eyes starting to glaze over and people trying very hard to stay alert. And I've given this a lot of thought. You see, biblical theology is extremely important, and we must know all the Bible says and all the awesome truths about God that he has put in his word. Um, however, however, we are living, breathing, real human beings. And as such, we are so easily distracted from an all-out focus on God. So, it's just true. Every one of us has struggles in our lives. At least one struggle, and there are some people that are going through multiple struggles in their lives. And we just add on top of all of this a worldwide pandemic. And just about every person is pretty much at the point of breaking down. And this is why we all need, in addition to strong biblical truths about God, we need some good real-life examples of how to stay faithful in the work the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, has called us to do, okay, called us to do to complete his mission on earth. We need good examples. Enter Epaphroditus, okay. He was a member of the church that Paul planted in Philippi. And he was picked by the members of this church to be part of a team to bring a very substantial financial gift to Paul in Rome to continue his ministry there. They were carrying many bags heavy with silver. They didn't have paper money back then. Okay? So, um, we also need to understand that Rome was some 900 miles from Philippi. And you may have heard of the Roman roads. They were very good. They had leveled down some hills, filled in some valleys, but we would call them nothing more than glorified footpaths. At most, three people wide in some portion. So these roads were so good that people, the average person, could walk at the unheard of speed of 30 miles in a day, day after day after day. But even so, this was a one-month-long journey. So to go from Philippi to Rome took a month. Okay? They thought that was lightning speed for their day. Okay. So sometime, as we've heard from the scripture during this month, Epaphroditus took ill to the point of almost dying on this trip. But really, he had no choice but to trust God and continue on with the group that he was part of. There were no hospitals in that day. In fact, I did a quick uh, Google Wikipedia search on Friday. The first hospital in the Roman Empire came in the 380s AD, and it was founded by um, Saint, uh, gosh, I had her name, Fabiola, who was a nurse who worked with physicians. But God showed him great mercy, and he recovered, and he went on, and he finished his mission. Okay, so. 
what he was, was a faithful spiritual warrior. And after we continue or consider together what this scripture passage tells us, I'm going to take some time at the end and we're going to consider together what God has called us all to do as spiritual warriors. We are in a spiritual battle and we have responsibility. But first, this um, section of commendation for Epaphroditus falls into two halves that are very similar but have different specifics to them. So first of all, Paul's fellow soldier Epaphroditus, whom he is sending, uh, who is going to now minister back to the church in Philippi, he almost died, but God had mercy on him. So Paul thought to send this brother, who is their messenger and minister of the church that was in Philippi, and Paul is distressed, and so is Epaphroditus, because they had heard he almost died. Now, he was one of their brothers. So Paul said, I thought it necessary to send Epaphroditus, the brother, the fellow worker, the fellow soldier. Here are three titles. First and most importantly, he is a brother in Christ, okay? To be part of a church, we need to be in Christ. We've seen this over and over in the letter to Philippians. Now, I created a worksheet, a little two-pager, right when I got out of seminary, because in my course where we studied Philippians, it turns out Paul had 36 named fellow workers that you can get out of the New Testament letters. And if anybody's interested, I have copies in my office with all kinds of passages to look up his teammates. But Epaphroditus is one of only two men who were also fellow soldiers, soldiers. And he says he is your messenger, and the word is actually apostle, one who was sent. So it's not angel. He is your messenger and minister to my need. He's your ministering apostle to me. The church in Philippi sent him as part of a team, one of maybe the leading members of the team, to bring this huge financial contribution to help Paul continue to rent this room while he was a prisoner to tell the gospel to all the people in Rome. Since he has been uh, longing for all of you, and he's distressed because you heard he was sick. So Paul is sending this formerly wounded warrior back home so they won't be worrying about him anymore. Paul goes on, because indeed, indeed, he was sick to the point near death, but the God had mercy on him. And the article is very important in Greek. We're not talking about any idol or false god, but the true God, okay? He says because he was sick. He was sick almost to death, okay? He risked his life to complete his mission. He continued to roam. He didn't turn back. He didn't just pull off and stay in, in you know, a hotel or something which was really just a hostile, we would call it. But the God had mercy on him. Now, I, I, I looked in, in, in a chain reference Bible, I had over 40 passages in scripture about God's mercy. There's literally hundreds. We need to consider seven together. This is so important. I don't want us to just gloss over this powerful word. The first example of mercy is something that pretty much anyone who's read the Bible a few times should have memorized by now. It's from Exodus 34. While Moses was on Sinai and God was giving him the covenant, he wanted to see God. And as God passed by him, God declared, Yahweh proclaimed, I am merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abundant in grace and truth, goodness and truth. Now, one of the things we need to understand about the prophets, 
they took the Torah, the first five books, and they would take the very same words that God had spoken hundreds of years ago, and they would apply them to the current situation. So Joel, the same prophet who predicted Pentecost and the church, when this was about 700 B.C., when there was idolatry, uh, both north and south, God's people were a mess. Micah, I'm sorry, um, Joel had Yahweh commanding his people to repent or return because he is gracious to show mercy. I'm sorry, he's slow to, merciful, slow to anger and kindness. And then at the same time, the prophet Micah, who had gone from the south to the north, he said that he delights to show mercy. So three mercy passages, starting in the Torah and reinforced by the prophets. And then fourthly, I'm taking Jesus' mother Mary, after Gabriel had explained to her that she had been chosen to be the human mother of the Messiah, Mary said, um, I delight in my Savior God because his mercy is on them who fear him, who know that he is awesome enough to trust totally in faith that he will do what we need to do. And then Paul, let us not forget the Apostle Paul. We spent a lot of time learning about him in Acts a few years ago. And he said something awesome. He testified that on me, a violent persecutor, God had mercy. And then one of the psalm writers, Psalm 115, which is a great psalm, the whole psalm, he testifies in the first verse and says, not unto us, no, Yahweh, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory for your mercy. And then for our last example, I'm going all the way back to Genesis. And Joseph, Joseph is a type of the perfect Israelite. And in some ways, because Jesus personified what Israel was supposed to be, he even points to Jesus. And while Joseph was in prison, we're told Yahweh was with him. Again, there's the most important promise in Scripture. No matter what we're going through, God is always with us. And we need to know that. And he gave him favor favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Now, going back to where I started, four of these are awesome truths about God's general mercy. But let's not take this mercy lightly, people. I'm spending time on it because this is huge. This is so important. We also have human examples. Jesus' human mother testifies to the mercy of God, and so does the Apostle Paul. But we're also told about this special mercy God had for Joseph. After he had twice suffered injustice in Egypt, and he was in prison, God still had mercy on him even after and while he's being unjustly treated. And add this into his mercy on Epaphroditus, who as he was going on a mission, almost died. You can see that God's mercy is not just a general truth, but it's for each and every person to experience for themselves. So now I have to ask this question about experience. Now, you know, I'm, I'm a boomer, and I listen to rock music, and there's a great question, have you had experience in Jimi Hendrix almost degraded it? But I'm asking this seriously now, okay? Given the biblical real-life examples that we have heard, have you personally experienced God's mercy so that it's deep in your soul and it's a part of who you are as a human being? 
I pray so. I pray so ever so much. There's nothing like experiencing God's mercy and fellow soldiers of Jesus Christ. Every one of these individuals I talked about had some degree of faith and service for God, come what may. Have we experienced and received God's mercy as fellow soldiers of Christ? And then Paul concludes this first section, and we heard it read. He doesn't use the word mercy, but he says, I also had this experience that Epaphroditus had. I had this experience, so I did not have to suffer sorrow on sorrow. What's he talking about here? We saw a few weeks ago, he said, now that I'm a prisoner in Rome, I'm being poured out like a drink offering, like part of the sacrifices that were in the Mosaic Covenant, which the people were uh, still under up until the day of Pentecost. Paul had lived most of his life under that covenant. That was sorrow enough, just suffering for the gospel. But he said, if my good brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, Epaphroditus, if he had died, I don't know what I would have done with that additional sorrow, but God was merciful. I didn't have to experience it. And then secondly, same truth, but repackaged. Paul says that he also sent him so that they seeing him would be cheered, literally be made to rejoice. And then he commands them to welcome this brother in the Lord with joy because he risked his life for them in his service to God. So he said, I'm sending him with urgency now so that having seen him, you will be cheered and I'll be less concerned. Paul says, I'll be less concerned. Um, so that you may receive joy. Have joy put in your heart by God. This is the result. Paul's desire for this church he planted is that they may be made to rejoice over this miraculous mercy from God that Epaphroditus had received and experienced, and I will be less concerned. He had just talked about sorrow upon sorrow if Epaphroditus had died. He's also concerned for the church. And he's saying, when you see him, I'll have less concern for you all. Therefore, welcome him in. I put in Lord because there is no definite article. But in English, we have to say in the Lord. With all joy and have high regard for those, all of those like him. Because for Christ's work, he risked his life until he was near death to complete their service to Paul. Okay. Therefore, welcome him with all joy. They're commanded to welcome him with joy. Paul accepts they will gladly welcome this letter bearer, because he's sending the letter personally with Epaphroditus. But don't miss, in the Lord, people. Again, it's so important that we be in this tight, close relationship with God, acknowledging him, knowing he was with us. The source of all joy is the Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit Jesus sent. Paul reminds them, and also us people, that we can only experience joy, the joy of receiving his mercy, this joy that overrides all sorrow. It is only in the Lord of all creation who died for us on the cross. And then he says, and you all must have high regard for those like him. He says, honor these men. Honor these brothers in Christ who, like Epaphroditus, they also are good examples that they are willing to offer themselves fully to God in service to God in his mission almost unto death. And because for the work of Christ, again, They were willing to die. 
This applies to everybody. We, we can't forget there's some seven times in the four Gospels where Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, take up your cross. A cross isn't suffering, people. There was only one purpose for a Roman cross, death. Be willing to die for me, Jesus said. And he had said these people, Paul has said these people were partners in the gospel and we must fulfill the gospel. Jesus' last command was to make disciples of people of all nations. So have high regard. All of us need to have high regard for those who almost die for the gospel of Christ. Again, this letter is all about the gospel. And having risked his life in order to complete what was deficient in your service for me. I'd already said it took a month to go from Philippi to Rome. So they were praying for Paul, and that's very, very important. But the physical presence is very important for human beings in a physical body. And Epaphroditus and his team went the extra mile. Okay, so they are partnering with him through Epaphroditus, who is with he and his small team representing the entire church. So as we come to the end of this passage, we realize that there are paradoxes going on here. Paul deeply loves this church in Philippi, but he's concerned for them. Remember when he talked about his persecutions in his second letter to the Corinthians? He lists a couple of dozen, but he says, and added on to all of this is my concern for every church. So he loved them, but he also had concern for them. And beyond that, even though he knows we all have ultimate victory in Jesus Christ, he had said, he and Barnabas, remember back in Acts, he says, we must all experience tribulation. Nobody gets out of this life, especially if we're following Jesus, without some tribulation along the way. Well, what about us? Will we endure suffering and hardships for this gospel mission, even unto the point of death if need be? I hope so. I hope I can do it whenever I'm called someday to undergo this suffering. So bottom line, what Paul said about this member Epaphroditus, a good example of the Philistine church, or the Philippian church, I'm sorry, I've been reading the Gospels too. He risked all in faith to do the mission God had given him, even though he nearly died. But he experienced God's abundant mercy. Okay? This truth is not just for the first century church who received this letter. It's also for us. If we are faithful, we will receive mercy as soldiers of Christ, either to continue God's work here on earth, or maybe we'll actually be ushered into his presence. Either way, it makes no difference. Fellow soldiers of Christ receive mercy one way or the other. Remember Paul said right in the first chapter, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, let me take some time about spiritual warfare, people. We are in a spiritual fight, whether we realize it or not, and we must be willing to suffer in this fight. Let me just start with something. I struggle with this. I need this. So whether or not any of you all get anything out of this, first of all, I needed to hear this and to think about it because I struggle with this. And I really want to be a better soldier warrior for God in Jesus. So first of all, the Lord's Prayer. The very last line of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew's Gospel on the Sermon on the Mount has two parts. Lead us not into temptation. This is a sincere plea that temptations will not lead us to go astray and to sin. But secondly, also deliver us from the evil. 
That's something the King James translators missed. Again, there is a definite article there. Now, we have evil within us, but it's referring, first of all, to the evil one, Satan, who is our adversary and the one who is trying and wants to tempt us for the evil that is still within us that has not been purged away. We're praying with this prayer, deliver us from the evil, that the evil one won't draw out the evil that's in us and make us sin. That's a big part of spiritual warfare. We must be holy as God is holy. We're being sanctified. That's why we're called saints. We're being made holy. Secondly, we must know three things about this spiritual battle, and we must act on them, okay? If all we do is know it, it does us no good. It does God no good. It does people that we know no good whatsoever. We must do what God is calling us to do. So first of all, understand who our enemy is. It's not people. It's the devil and his demons, okay? And Jesus encountered the devil after he was baptized. He was called to fast for 40 days in the wilderness. And the accuser, the devil, came upon Jesus. And he answered all three temptations by appropriately applying scripture. And then Satan had to flee. We too can use scripture appropriately. Two things. If we're always listening to the word. I don't know about you, but I learned many years ago. I've been following Jesus for 41 years, probably 37 years ago. If I'm not spending time in the word every day, I'm a jerk. I need God's word to keep me on track, and I need God's Holy Spirit to apply the word rightly as I'm living. Now, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but powers, world forces of darkness, and the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. That's from the New American Standard Bible. Secondly, we must know the authority that we have in Jesus Christ. It's not our authority. We just don't have any in ourselves. But in Christ, okay? Jesus appeared to the 11 after he resurrected and said, all authority has been given to me. But did you realize that in his prayer before he went to the cross in John 17, he delegated that authority? First of all, to the 12, he was asking his father to protect the 11 that were still left, to sanctify them from sin because he is sending them into the world as he has been sent. He's turned over his mission to the 11. And then later he prays for all who will have a saving faith in him through the message of those original apostles, which is in the word of God. And he says that they may miraculously be one in spite of their differences. If the world ever needed to see a miracle of unity among people who have nothing in common, it's us. That's only from the authority we receive from Jesus Christ. And he says because of their supernatural unity, the world will know that you love them too. We have this responsibility, but thankfully we have Jesus' um, delegated authority. And thirdly, we need to know how to fight with the full armor of God on us, okay? We must put it on. Now, the first thing before the armor is described is stand firm. And I was wondering, is there a scripture? Did Jesus say anything about this? In the morning after I drafted the sermon, I read Mark chapter 13, verse 13. Jesus says to stand firm. He will give us that strength. And now let's just run through the armor. The belt of truth. Jesus is the truth. John 14. 
And what does that mean? Jesus holds all of our armor together. Do you believe that? And then the breastplate of righteousness. I've preached on 2 Corinthians 5 because it's one of my favorite passages at least three times. Righteousness is in Christ. That's what happened on the cross. He took our sin and gave us his righteousness. The shoes of the gospel of peace. Peter in his first letter said, always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that is within you. That's the gospel. Wherever we go, be ready to do that. The shield of faith. We must act in faith. I read Jeremiah 29. All these coincidences God brings. Um, He was writing to the exiles. And he said, God will give you welfare, peace, soundness, wholeness. Do you believe that? The shield of faith, the helmet of salvation. Basically, we're saved through Jesus' death on the cross. We are reconciled and we have peace with God because Jesus has disarmed the evil powers. These truths, if they are ever in our mind, they protect us. They're a helmet. Nothing can harm our head. And then the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. I don't know how many times I've referenced this. We all know it. All of Scripture is God-breathed. The Holy Spirit gave it. So we are equipped for every good work. Every good thing we do in Jesus puts a chink in the devil, knocks him down one more uh, inch, one more, you know, he's down. This is what we must do. And it's all, you know, when I was talking about, I I skipped this, but, you know, when we were to honor these men, I thought about, does this knock down God's glory in any way if we lift up men? And it doesn't. It doesn't. Because when we recognize that it's only by God's power that these Men who are fighting unto death for the gospel can do it. It brings glory to God. And what did Jesus say on the Sermon on the Mount? Let your light shine before men. This is the greatest thing we can do in the spiritual battle. That they might see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Every time God is praised, Satan cringes. That's all part of the spiritual battle. And then finally, prayer. Remember also in Mark's gospel where this man comes to Jesus and he says there's this spirit that has made my boy mute. He can't talk. And it throws him on the ground and he foams at the mouth. And your followers couldn't do anything. And Jesus just says, be gone. And he was gone. And his disciples said, how did this happen? Well, this only comes out, you can only cast these out by spirit-inspired faith and prayer. Prayer is also a weapon. So we put this all together and we need to be soldiers of the mercy of the cross. May we become fellow soldiers of Christ so that we fight in his power and authority, not our own, and complete his victory of mercy that began on the cross, was solidified with the resurrection and sealed by the giving of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost to witness to him with all of our attitudes and all of our words and with all of our actions. Fellow soldiers of Christ, experience and receive this mercy of God. Let's be soldiers for Christ. We sang, soldiers of Christ, arise. So Paul's sending Epaphroditus, his fellow worker and fellow soldier, so that the church in Philippi can see for themselves God had mercy on him, even when he was sick to the point of death, because he was ministering to Paul for them with the gift. And he sent so that the church may receive him in the Lord with joy and also hold in high regard all of those who are coming near to death, doing the work of Jesus Christ. May that be us too. And may we all receive and experience God's mercy 
in Christ as soldiers of the cross. In fact, we're going to have an opportunity in just a few minutes to receive Christ himself and all that he is in the sacrament. But let's prepare our hearts by singing Let Us Break Bread Together. about that last sentence that we sang. This week, God has really begun to stir me afresh about his awesome, wonderful mercy. Well, we've changed uh, how we partake of communion. We have those communion kits over there, which in a little while, you can all come up one at a time and take it back to your place and hold it, and we will all partake of the body and blood of Christ together. But right now, all of you, take your bulletin inserts and let's prepare ourselves for the receiving of communion. The table of bread is now to be made ready. It is the table of company with Jesus and all who love him. Come to the table, you will have much faith and you who would like to have more. You who have been here often, and you who have not been for a long time, and you who have tried to follow Jesus, and you who have failed, come. It is Christ who invites us to meet him here. Loving God, through your goodness, may we know your presence in the sharing so that we may know your touch and presence in all things. We celebrate the life that Jesus has shared among all of his community through the centuries and shares with us now. Made one in Christ and one with each other, we offer these gifts and with them ourselves a single living act of praise. Amen. So as Christ has offered himself for us, as we're receiving this and having union with him, we're offering ourselves fully up to God. So now, uh, if you will just come up here uh, one by one and receive the elements.
Let us pray. Holy Lord God, by what we do here in remembrance of Christ, we celebrate his perfect sacrifice on the cross and his glorious resurrection and ascension. We declare that he is Lord of all and we prepare for his coming kingdom. We pray through you, Holy Spirit, that this bread may be for us the body of Christ, and that this cup may be the blood of Christ. Accept our sacrifice of praise as we eat and drink at his command. Unite us to Christ as one body in him, and give us strength to serve you in the world. And to you, one holy, eternal God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we give praise and glory now and forever. Amen. And now let us partake of the bread and of the cup. What has most impressed me about today's passage is it's not just these big truths about God, but we saw real life individuals, human beings just like us, not perfect, who were willing to give their all and who totally trusted in God. And we have so much of an advantage over many of them. Paul and, and, and Mary got to do what we've just done and partake of Jesus Christ physically. But Joseph and all the Old Testament saints had to do it by faith. It's the same. We are all saved by faith. And Jesus is an awesome Savior. And through him, we experience God's mercy in trials, tribulations, even in death. So let's close our worship by singing hallelujah, what a savior. Can it be all
lifted up was he to die it is finished was his cry now in heaven exalted on high alleluia what a savior when he comes our glorious king all his ransomed home to bring then anew this song will sing Okay, after I pronounce uh, the benediction, um, there will be a song, uh, You Are My Hiding Place, and you can open up your books to 53 and follow along and sing along if you're so moved. But let me close with a couple of sentences Paul wrote to the churches in Thessalonica, speaking about examples for us all to follow. For we know, brethren, beloved by God, that he has chosen you. For our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And you all have become imitators of us and of the Lord, for you receive the word in much affliction with joy inspired by the Holy Spirit so that all of you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Amen.